Okay. So before the break, we took a look at some of the rituals of the covenant. And we'll come back to that next week when we start to compare and contrast the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. But what I want to do for the remainder of tonight is I want to take a look at something called Threshold Covenant. How many people have heard of a Threshold Covenant? Not many, but yet we've used it many times to a, to a certain degree. Uh, but the Threshold Covenant, in essence, takes place between two people, a guest and a host. And whenever a guest would cross over the threshold of a home or walk through the front door, basically, and cross that threshold, which would be, you know, at the, you know, the line at the bottom of that front door, when they cross over the threshold, they would be entering into a covenant with their host. And that covenant was saying that I will, I will do you no harm and you will do me no harm. In fact, I will protect you and care for you and provide for you. The, that's what the host is saying to the guest. And the guest is saying to the host, and I, I won't harm you either. And so they're entering into, into a covenant. It'd be kind of like when you guys came in here today and you crossed over that threshold to the front door. You were expecting that we would provide for you. We would care for you. And, and we would do you no harm. But you'd be coming in here with the same idea. You're going to do us no harm. You're not going to steal from us or, or kick us or beat us or anything like that. So thank you, by the way. And so you, there's that covenant agreement that takes place. That's what is going on with this, this threshold, agree, uh, threshold covenant that's being taken place. And it's a very strong, again, throughout the, the Eastern culture. Uh, how many, again, an older movie, how many people remember the movie The Black Stallion? Uh, in there, this little boy, he, under, he, he discovered threshold covenant. And he learned that if he ever showed up to a tent and he crossed over the threshold, so he stepped into the tent, immediately the, the host, the owner of that tent, was now responsible for him. And so he would have to care for him and provide for him. So he went from tent to tent to cross the desert, and he would just cross over the threshold, and then these people would look after him and protect him. And so he was able to cross the desert because of threshold covenant. You would never do any harm to someone if you walked through the front door, which is why a thief would always come in through a back way or through a window. If he did that, he could do whatever, you know, both ways. The, the guest could harm the host, the host could harm the guest, because they weren't in covenant. But if they ever came through the front door, you couldn't do it. Now in Psalm twenty-five, fourteen, it says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. To really get to know the heart of God means to get to know covenant. The thing about God, um, one of the great things that I love about um, uh, C.S. Lewis' um, depiction of God in Aslan, time and time again, he keeps reminding um, the, the reader that Aslan is not a tame lion. They ask, is he safe? That's what they want. Is he safe? Is he, is he controllable? Oh, he's not a tame lion, but he is a lion that loves and cares. And the thing about God, we can't predict what God is going to do. In that sense, he's not tame. He's not controllable. It's not that if we do this, then God is obligated to do that. It's not that kind of relationship. However, his character is never changing. And so we may not be able to predict what he's going to do. We do know his character. And to know his character means to know his covenant. And so here, what, he, what, what the writer is saying here, what David is saying is the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, 
and he will make them know his covenant. To grow, to understand the heart of God, means to understand covenant, which is why we're taking the time here. So the threshold covenant, as we will look at in more detail tonight, is the covenant that's made between two people whenever one person crosses over the threshold into another person's home. The essence of this covenant is that the owner of the home enters into covenant with the guest, as long as he's there, to do him no harm, but to provide and to protect him, to care for him. And likewise, the guest who enters the home by crossing over the threshold enters into a covenant that as long as he's there, he will do him no harm as well. So they're, they're going in and they're, they're making an agreement to never harm one another. There's a, there's a story of a guy who in uh, Amman, Jordan, who, whose life was saved by threshold covenant. He was driving along in his, uh, in his car, and one, while he was driving along, his brakes failed him. Whether the car overheated, or there was a leak, or for whatever reason, the, the brakes failed, and he ended up hitting and injuring, critically, a 14-year-old boy. Well, he, was, he couldn't believe this. He you know, jumped out of the car, left the car there, picked up the boy, and got into another guy's car, and they went to a, a local hospital, and he, and he took the boy into the emergency room, and they admitted him, and... and you know, he was sitting around first and couldn't do anything, so they, the doctor sent him away and sent him home. So he, he goes back to his car and, and around his car, and he's just, he's just in shock of what's transpired in the last 30 minutes sort of thing. And so he's covered in blood from this boy, and so he just he goes and knocks on this, this neighbor's house next to where his car was, was abandoned. And he says, can I, can I come in? And, and they see the blood on him, and they, oh, yeah, come on in. What's happened? What's happened? So I, I, I don't know, I just, I, can, I, can I wash up? So he goes to the bathroom and he starts to wash up. Well, while he's in the bathroom, all of a sudden, the, the parents of the daughter, um, so the, the husband and wife, so her parents walk in and they, they begin, they're in this, this panic state saying to the, to the daughter, your brother's just been hit by a driver. We got to go find this driver and we're going to kill him. We don't know what's going to happen to our son, to your brother, but we're going to go find him and kill him. And guess what daughter and son-in-law are thinking? Let's go. <laughs> we're, we're right there with you. Well, the guy in the bathroom hears all this. So he's in no hurry at this point to leave. And he's kind of stalling and stalling and stalling. But eventually, you know, people start wondering what you're in the bathroom for so long for. Can we help you? Is there what's happening? So eventually he's got to come out. So he walks out, he's covered in blood, and they quickly put two and two together. And he, he can't hide it. He says, I, I want you to know I'm the man that hits your son, he says to the dad. Well, the dad in this moment, in this very instant, says, I'm going to kill you. He grabs a knife, and he's coming at this guy. He's ready to kill the man right there on that spot. But then the son-in-law gets in the way and says, wait. This man has entered into covenant with me. He has entered into my home. And I will protect him. I will not let any harm come to him as long as he's in my home. So this son-in-law is preventing the father from harming this guy. Even though he is nothing about this, is a complete stranger. But because he crossed the threshold, he entered into covenant. I will do you no harm and I will protect you even if it means putting my life in the line. Now, he says to the dad, the moment this guy leaves, I'll help you kill him. But as long as he's in my home, nothing. So guess what this guy's doing now? He's just, you know, 
my, this is my home now, I guess. I'm not going anywhere. So he just makes himself at home. And, you know, he's not leaving because he knows the moment he takes a step out of the, outside, he crosses that threshold, he's a dead man. So he stays there. But over the few hours, you know, he's able to assure them and calm them down. And they're able to forgive one another. And, and I think the boy, you know, they got news that the boy's going to live and, and let him go as a free man. But threshold covenant saved him. And the father honored it. The father wasn't, you know, waiting for the son to turn his back to stick him. He was going to say, this is covenant. We will not break a covenant. This is how powerful threshold covenant is. Now, we, we have this element in our, in our culture, right? How many guys, or if you're girls, how many of you, when you got married, um, you know, you came home, and the guys, you picked up your bride. If you're the bride, your husband picked you up, and they crossed over the threshold with you. How many people did that? Why? Why'd you do that? Yeah, we don't know why. I mean, I, I picked up Viarda, threw her over my shoulder, and well, I didn't throw her over my shoulder, but I picked her up. I remember coming home to the apartment in Toledo, and, and we'd been married, and I, I said, wait, you can't come in yet. Open the door, I picked her up, and I stepped over the threshold with her, and I had no idea why. <laughs> I did. I had no clue. It was just, that's what you're supposed to do. And so I did it. Not knowing that I was performing a threshold right, a threshold covenant. That I was entering in to the home with her and I was making a declaration that I'm carrying you over the threshold. I will do you no harm, you will do me no harm. I will protect you, you will protect me. And we are entering into covenant with one another. Do you see that? But here's the thing. This is what I want you to see. It's not the symbol that has any power whatsoever. I mean, look at our marriages today. Marriages today now stand about a 50% success rate. And it doesn't matter if you carry them over the threshold or not, it's the same success rate probably. And it's because it's nothing to do with the right in the symbol, it's what the symbol points to. But you see, in our society, we've forgotten what these rituals and rites are pointing to. We've forgotten what covenant is. And so we've lost the power of it. And when we remember what we're doing, and we understand what the symbol and sign is pointing to, that's what's so powerful and significant. That's what makes baptism so great. It's not about baptism, it's what baptism is pointing to. Baptism is a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ. That's what makes it so powerful and significant. Not that you're walking out with wet hair. That's not what it's about. So let's take a look at some examples of threshold covenants in the Old Testament. And, and one of the, the best ones is really the story of, uh, of Lot. Remember the story of Lot with the two angels? These, these three angels, two angels, and God show up and they talk to, to, Moses, or to Abraham, sorry, and, and they let their plans be known that they want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, well, what if there's a hundred people that are righteous? Will you save it? And he you know, whittled the God down to ten. You wonder, what if he kept going? Maybe he could have saved Sodom and Gomorrah, but he stopped for whatever reason. Well, after that conversation, the two angels, they went down to Sodom. And that's where Lot lived. And he's living in Sodom. And it says that he was standing in the gate, in the city gate. And when these two angels showed up, and Lot panicked, he recognized them. He knew they were servants of God. He knew who they represented. And so he says, it's not safe for you here. Please, Come, come stay in my home. And the two angels say, no, no, we're, we're going to stay in the city, city square. We're going to sleep in the square tonight. 
Um, I'm thinking, not a good idea. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I mean, it'd be like living in the middle of Baghdad at night right now. Just, it wouldn't be a safe place. But, you know, that's what they wanted to do. And he said, okay, listen, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you, come home with me. Come into my house. And so that's what they did. And they, they crossed over the threshold of Lot's house and they entered into covenant, the threshold covenant, where Lot says, I will do you no harm. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will lay down my life for your sake. So he fed them. He cared for them. He provided for them. Well, word spread that two new men showed up at Lot's home. So guess what? All these deprived men came knocking on Lot's door, demanding what? Demanding the two men, send the men out so we can have more for dinner? No. Send them out so we can have sex with them. Send them out so we can rape them. Send them out so we can harm them. And Lot's saying, no. No, I, I will not let you do that. I refuse to do that. Why? Because of the threshold agreement, the threshold covenant. In fact, then he does something which seems so utterly ridiculous and, and strange and even evil to us. And it seems so weird and ridiculous because we don't understand Threshold Covenant. But when you understand Threshold Covenant, now you understand what Lot did. See, look what it says in verse 8. He says to all these guys, this group, this gang of men who are just ready to rape these two guys, he says, listen, guys, I have two daughters who are virgins. I'll send them out to you. And you can do whatever you want with them. Uh, who have not had relations with men, please let me bring them to you and you can do whatever you like. I have four little girls at home. I, I, it just baffles me to think that I would volunteer my girls, two or all four of them, to a group of unruly, dep uh, sexually depraved men in order that they would gang rape them. Over and over and over again. And this is what Lot is going to do. Why? Because of the covenant he made with these two men. He said, I will protect these two men with my very own life. And in a sense, when he's sacrificing his daughters, he's sacrificing his own life. He's giving up what's valuable to him in order to protect these two men. That's the covenant he's made with them. Again, it sounds crazy to you and I. You and I... We're sending those guys out saying, I got my family. I got to protect that. But remember, blood is thicker than milk. That blood covenant is stronger than the family. And that family is all part of me. And so that means if I got to put my family on the line to honor the covenant, then I will. Has he made a covenant with his dog or so? Was there in the house? But they're family. And so that's... So it's, it's different. It's, I've made the covenant with these men, and so now I've got to be willing to sacrifice my life and my possessions to save these two men. Now again, they had a, not the greatest concept of women in, in this day. Uh, I mean, at this point, daughters were considered property and so forth. Uh, but that's what he was willing to sacrifice. It was him now sacrificing his life in order to protect these two men. Had the daughters, by association with the father, also be part of that covenant? Those yeah, yeah, because they're part of the family. Yeah, he's he's the head, he's the representative, and so they're all under him. It's like tribe A is Lot's family's tribe A, and these two men are tribe B, and so he's now willing to put tribe A on the line to protect tribe B. 
and that means putting his daughters out there. That's threshold covenant. Now, I don't want to get into the morality of that, but that's not the point. But look at the reason. He says, Do whatever you like, only do nothing to these two men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, here's the thing. There are covenant words throughout the Bible that are are only covenant word, only used in a covenant. But if you don't understand covenant, then you won't recognize it that way. It's sort of like in legal documents. There's certain legal terms that you would only ever find in a legal document. So, for example, in a legal document, you might find something about the lessee and the lessor. Well, when was the last time you used those words? You know, I own a car, I'm the, the lessee, and, uh, and GM's the lessor, and we don't talk that way. But in a covenant, in a contract, they use those words. Those are legalese terms. Does that make sense? In the same way, there are words in the Bible that are covenant words, just like you would find legalese words. One of those words, time and time again, is loving kindness in the Old, in the Old Testament. Everywhere you see loving kindness or mercy, that's a covenant word. It's referring to the covenant. We'll touch on that more next week. But one of these words here is this word translated as shelter. Another way we could refer to it as the, is a shadow. It literally means to the, the shade, to the covering, the shadow. And so what he's saying is, I will protect these two men, even at the cost of my own daughter, because they've come under the shadow, the protection of my roof. I owe it to them. Now, maybe you've read this verse before in Psalm 91. Verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It's this idea of threshold covenant. If we come to Him and we abide in Him and we trust Him, we now cross into that threshold and then the shadow of God, we come under His protection. And to the same degree that Lot was willing to sacrifice his, ch- his children to protect the people he went into covenant with, what did God do with you and I? God sent His own Son as the sacrifice to protect you and I because of the shadow, the protection of the Almighty. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you see something like this word shadow here, look at it. See, is this a covenant word? Are they talking in these covenant terms? When I think about what this means, I, I, I think about this picture. I've got a, the picture up on my wall thanks to... To Rick, Rick, Rick uh, framed that for me, and I, I love this picture. It doesn't show up so great here, but uh, so you can go in my office and see if you want. But this is a giant lighthouse, this huge giant lighthouse. And and one of these days, I'm going to break out my ruler and try to scale out how big this 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 deal is here. But here's a lighthouse with this giant wave crashing up against it. And I mean, the waves, judging by you know the size of this thing are, you know, 50 feet high. There, there's probably a wave warning if you had Environmental Canada right now. Um, there might be a wave warning for this guy. And, and so this giant wave is crashing up against it. But this is what I love about it. Here's the guy, and you can't see it so well, but the guy's just sitting in the threshold of the door, in, in the doorway, just leaning up against it with his hands in his pockets, just, just chilling. Just relaxed. While this giant wave, that if it ever hit him, he'd be dead. I mean, there's just no coming back from this. Never mind being drowned, he'd probably be knocked senseless by the power of the wave. 
And yet, he's not even worried one bit. In fact, if the helicopter came and took the picture, and he's probably just going, what are the helicopters doing? What's going on? He's not worried at all. Why? Because the shadow of the tower is protecting him. And, and you and I, we have a mighty fortress. We have a great strong tower. That's our Father. That's our Jesus. That's who's protecting us. This is the reality. And if we could begin to grasp this, then you and I could look at these waves and say, that's an uncircumcised wave. That wave can't overcome the covenant. That wave isn't powerful enough. I'm safe in this strong tower. I'm safe in Jesus. And now our faith is strengthened. Our faith has something substantial to put its, put its foot on to keep us upright. You see how powerful and life-changing covenant can be? Again, we have elements of this idea in our society today. How many people have heard the idea of claiming sanctuary? Where you know maybe someone who's about to get deported, they run into a church and they say, I claim sanctuary. And then what does the church do at that point? They will protect them. And as long as they're within the church, they're safe. Can't touch them. In the Old Testament, in fact, I think there were six different cities where if you murdered somebody, and now people are out to get you because you killed somebody and you broke the law and they're out to get you, you could flee into one of these six sanctuaries, these six safe havens, these six cities, and as long as you're in the city, nobody could touch you. No revenge, no punishment, you were safe in there because you crossed over the threshold of this city. And this sanctuary, and you could claim asylum, you could claim sanctuary. And, but as long as you were in the city, you were safe, but you ever stepped out of the city, you were, you know, a target. You were a dead man. Until, you had, so you had to stay there to be safe until the high priest of Israel died. And when that high priest died, all the prisoners could be set free. Does that sound familiar at all? Here you and I are, all guilty. We have targets on our back. And then we flee into our safe haven, into God, our high priest. And when he died, all the prisoners were set free. Do you see the pictures that God has been given to us and, and trying to convey to us and try to show it to us? He said, he's saying it 80 different ways to us. And, and if we don't understand covenant, we're, we're just, you know, we might get the 80th time. But time after time after time, God's trying to show to us how safe, how loved, how secure, how powerful the covenant we have with Him. Amen? Another aspect of this threshold covenant was the basin. And, and the basin was so, so important to them. Uh, so what they would have on their doorway... You know, they'd have the, the, the doors and, the, and the, you know, the, the header across the top. But at the bottom, they would have a bit of a, a dugout or a hole, a basin. Now, we would never have that in, you know, in Canada because you know, the snow would just come in through the basin. You'd, you'd need to seal that for weatherproofing, right? But they would have this hole and, and it would serve an important uh, purpose in the house or the home. What they would do is whenever they would, uh, would have a... Uh, you know, want to enter into a covenant with a, with a, a guest, 
they would take an animal and sacrifice that animal and pour his blood, that animal's blood, the life, into the basin. And remember, blood doesn't represent death. Blood represents life. And so they're honoring the person by showing your value to me, your life. And they're putting life into this basin. In fact, the type of blood was a way to bestow honor on the guest. So if you know you had somebody important to you coming, you might sacrifice a more important animal. If it was someone less important to you, then you would just find a gerbil and sacrifice the gerbil. You know, the family gerbil maybe, you know, show some honor. Uh, now if you were poor and you didn't have animals, then you would have substitutes. You could do wine or water. Again, it wasn't the the ritual that was important, it was what it was pointing to. But you know, for some people they really wanted to bestow great honor. So there's a story of one man, one Arabian, in order to bestow honor on a guest, he took his prized stallion. I mean, this is, in today's standards, a million-dollar racehorse. And he takes this racehorse, and he slits slits the, the, the throat of the horse. And all the blood is shed. He pours the blood into the, into the basin. And we think, wow, Really? goes yeah this is a way of bestowing honor this is what you mean to me that the life of my prized stallion i value you with and so for the guest i mean this would must have been some king or someone really important in order for having this kind of value given to him and so they would pour the blood into the basin so that when you walk in you're stepping over the basin, you're stepping into the home, you're stepping over the threshold, and you're entering into covenant with the people. Does that make sense? But here was, here was something you'd have to do. You'd have to step over the blood. Because if you ever stepped into the blood, it was a great insult. It would be kind of like, um, uh, you know, someone comes up and, and extends your hand and wants to shake your hand, and your reaction to them is you spit in their face, you punch them in the nose, and then in the gut, and then knee them in the groin. That's a bit of an insult, in case you didn't know. Um, only a bit of one. Uh, a painful insult, too. But it, it's, that's an insult to these people. You are rejecting their overture. And for someone to, to pour out life, and this is my life, when you go and you step in that basin, you are stepping on them. You are trampling on them. Ever heard the saying, step on a crack, break your mother's back? That comes from that. Because you are breaking a covenant. You are insulting a covenant uh, person. And so it's, you know, you're bringing a curse upon yourself, or at least your mom. So that's why you don't do it. But if you were to step into the basin, you are spitting in that person's face. Now keep that in mind, because when we get to chapter 10 of Hebrews, in that fourth warning... He says, be careful for the person who's trampled upon the blood of the covenant. He's, he's picturing to these people this threshold covenant. That's what he's pointing them towards. But if you don't understand the threshold covenant, if you don't understand covenant, then that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. That just may be some imagery, but it's not. He's trying to point to something specific here in trampling the, the blood of the covenant. Yes. Just wondering, like, when you think about um, when there was a, a guest of honor coming to a home, they would, let's say, kill a fat of calf or whatever. Is there a connection also with the honor? Not that they just fed the mm -hmm. guest, but also because it was a live animal. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why they would have a fattened calf. 
was was so they would have a guest of honor. Which makes now the story of the prodigal son so incredible. That when the father says, let's kill the fatted calf, you reserve that for VIPs only. In fact, you would never use that on anything less than a VIP in the danger that a VIP would show up the next day and you would have no fatted calf. So you would be really careful who would you use that fatted calf on. And so that's what makes his father, when his son returns home, he says, get the fatted calf. There is nobody more important coming. This is the one we want to shed. This is the, what we're waiting for. Kill the fatted calf. So he's bestowing honor upon the son with this animal. He's not getting the family gerbil out. He's getting the fatted calf, the prized possession. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that they would do is they would take the, the blood sometimes and they would, they would, um, in, they would spread the blood on the, on the home. This was especially important when, when the city inhabitants wanted to welcome a king. Back in this culture and time, um, they didn't have countries per se. What they had were cities and each city had its own king. That's so why Jericho was a city. AI was a city. And, and that they had their own kings, excuse me, in this, in this city. And what would happen sometimes is you would get a king who would conquer multiple cities to try to build up his empire. Um, but essentially you had your own king. Well, imagine now for a moment that an, a king is coming and maybe he's coming to visit one of the, king, one of the cities that he's uh, plundered or maybe he's going to go and plunder a, a, another city. What the inhabitants would do is they would take blood and they would, you know, put handprints all over the house, all over the wall, along with the basin, along with the doorpost. And it was a symbol. It was a sign to the king to let them know that they were friendly. And this was important because what the king would do is he would send his army in before him and kill all those that were disloyal to him and then enter into covenant with those that were loyal. And how would he know who's loyal or not? Based on the blood. Based on who was, who was willing to put blood on their homes. So the blood then became a sign of welcoming and an invitation to covenant. Does that make sense? So the, the inhabitants would take an animal, kill it, put blood all over the home. And the army comes in, would pass by those homes, kill the, enemy, the, the, the disloyal people. And then the king would come in and make covenant. Does that sound familiar to anyone? What's that? It's the Passover. Right? Now here's something I didn't understand about Passover until I started understanding covenant. When I think of Passover, I always thought of that, you know, the, the children of Israel, they take the blood, put it on the doorpost and on the header, and then the, and God would come and He would pass over the homes with blood, and then He would go and kill those that didn't have blood, the firstborn of the Egyptians. And so the Passover was God passing over the Israelites' home. How many people had that understanding? That's not what it's about. You see, there are two words that are, could be, that are translated Passover in this story. And we have to understand these two different words. One word is abar. That's the Hebrew word. Abar. And it literally means to pass over. To skip by. It would be kind of like, you know, if a tornado came down and it hit one home and then it passed over another home, leaving it untouched and then destroyed the next home. So what that, that tornado would have done, it would have passed over, would have abarred that one home. Does that make sense? 
And so it's to skip by, to pass by, to leave untouched. In this case, leave untouched. But it's, it's to skip past them. Okay? The other one is Pasach. And Pasach is only used in covenant. It's, it only shows up in three occasions. Uh, we'll look at one of them next week. Uh, but it's used here in, in the story of the Passover. And it's also used in the story of Mount Carmel where uh, Elijah has challenged the prophets of Baal, of Baal to a, you know, a fire contest, right? Who, which God can set the altar on fire? And so all the prophets of Baal got together, and they were, they were doing all kinds of crazy things, trying to get the, that fire, to, to, the God to start the altar on fire. Remember that? They were, they were jumping around, it said. Well, what they did is they built, or, to, or at least transplanted, or they built it a threshold covenant, a threshold door, and that they were doing is they were pasak. They were jumping over the threshold, and it was their way of trying to enter into covenant with their God, with Baal, in order to provoke Baal to set their altar on fire. So this pasak is a covenant word, only used in covenants. That's the only thing it is. And so what it means is to covenant cross a threshold. Does that make sense? So there's two words that are translated Passover. One's a bar, literally mean to pass over or pass by. But Pasach means to covenant cross a threshold, to enter into a, a covenant. Well, now let's take a look at the story then in Exodus 12, verses 21 and 22. These are the instructions that God is giving the children of Israel through Moses. So Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood. So that's basically they made a paintbrush. Dip it into the blood which is in the basin, so in the threshold door, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the door, to doorpost. So he's putting it on the doorpost, putting it on the lintel or the header. What's he declaring? We are welcoming our king. We want to enter into covenant with this king. So here's God using something these people know and understand to communicate with them that he wants to enter into covenant with them. So you should take a bunch of his shop, put it around the door and the, and the two doorposts, and none of you should go outside the door of his house until morning. Stay inside. Why? Well, look at verse 23. For the Lord will pass through. Which one is it? A bar. Meaning he's going to pass by, pass over, skip over, to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and the two doorposts, the Lord will... Which one? Pasach. He's now going to covenant cross the threshold and he will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. So here's the thing. God didn't pass over the Israelites. Who did he pass over? The Egyptians... Or anyone that didn't put the blood on the doorpost. Instead, what did he do to the Israelites? He passed into them. He crossed the covenant of their homes, entered into covenant with them, saying, I will do you no harm. I will protect you. I will look after you. I'll provide you. So that when the enemy comes, or when the destroyer comes, I won't let him destroy you. So God's Passover was literally, I guess you could say, He passed over the basin. He passed over the blood of the Lamb. Do you see it? Now what's Passover a picture of? 
picture of our salvation, right? You have the Lamb being shed, His blood. Who was that? That was Jesus. And remember I said about how someone would, would, would honor the guest by the value of the sacrifice? You bestow honor on somebody? Do you see what God did for you and I? The honor He bestowed upon us? He said, I'm not going to get the family pet and the family gerbil. I'm not going to get some chicken. I'm going to take the life and the blood of my son. That's what I'm going to put on these doorposts. That's what I'm going to cross over. That's the, the life that I'm, I'm shedding here. That's the value He bestows on you and I. That's how much you're worth to Him. You're worth Jesus, and Jesus is worth you. It's incredible. And then He passes into covenant with us. See, look at this. There's understanding covenant now, understanding threshold covenant. Let's take a look at a passage that maybe you've read hundreds of times. But I pray and I hope it's going to jump off the page at you like never before. And it's in John chapter 10, verses 7 to 11. Jesus, talking to people who understand covenant, says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, to you and I, He's a door. He's the way in. That's how we've understood it. But to them, it's so much more than a way in. It's a covenant. It's a threshold covenant. I am the door of the sheep. Meaning, if you go through me, you are entering into covenant with God. That's the only way. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Why? Because he's entered into threshold covenant with me. And will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Which way is he going to come? Through the back, over the fence, in a window? Any way but Jesus. Is there a covenant with them? No covenant with them. But I have came, I have came, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Do you see what picture God's given to you and I? When you and I got saved, God placed us where? Into Christ. Here's the main point of tonight. The result, as a result of our faith in Christ, God places us into Him. The most famous verse, probably the New Testament, John 3.16, takes on a whole new meaning now of covenant. Because in Christ, or into Christ, is a covenant word. It's a covenant term. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? That's not, not really what it says. What it really says is, For God so loves the world, that whoever believes in into Christ. It's not believe in His name in the sense that I believe who He is and what He's done and I, I, I trust that. It's a location. It's believe into. It's covenant cross into Christ. Shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 1.30 By God's doing you are in Christ. You have covenant crossed into Christ. You are now in Him. You are in this safe home. In His home and He says... I will protect you. I will do you no harm. What is mine is yours. I will give you my strength. I will give you my goods, my possessions. I will care for you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. 
And so in this act, he's bestowed honor us by pouring out his own life onto the threshold, signifying the worth and the value that he gives us. You are worth Jesus, and Jesus is worth you. You can't get any more greater value and greater honor than that. And so the result of this covenant is that we are in a safe place where He promises to do us no harm, but instead will protect us, love us, care for us, and provide for us. We're in Him. We're safe. We're secure. That's the covenant we have with Him. And if we could see this covenant and really begin to trust it, I mean, believe what we profess to believe. To live as David lived when he saw this uncircumcised Philistine. Then we can face the world with the life of Christ within us. We can hold our heads up high. Defy sin and Satan, as Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. And really begin to live as Christians. When we start to understand what God's done. Understand this covenant. So the question for you and I, Jesus is better, now will we live by faith? Will we trust this? Will we put our faith in this covenant and recognize what God's done? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I marvel that you would enter into covenant with us. As we saw, we would never see a strong nation enter into a covenant with a weak nation. And yet that's exactly what you did. You, from a position of strength, having everything, went into covenant with us who had nothing. You did that because of the nature of the covenant was one of love. The heart of your motive was to love us. And now you have promised to do us no harm, but to protect us, to provide for us, to care for us, to give us what we need. And so I pray, Father, as we leave here, our faith will be strengthened in you. Our faith in you will be stronger, that we will have more confidence, and that we'll be able to now rely upon the reality that we have everything we need in you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.